Welcome to the very first episode of Yesterday This Morning. We got a fantastic show for Monday morning, March 29th. The Nets super team kind of gets some competition. Draymond says he is the greatest defender of all time. Ivan Kamara does not want to play 17 games, and we got a Deshaun Watson update. But first, I just want to get right into it and talk about the MVP race in the NBA. Um, James Harden made it very clear so far this week that he really feels like that he is an MVP. He is the MVP of the NBA so far. Listen, James James Harden has done an incredible job while Kyrie and KD are out. But you don't get a season award for a couple of weeks of fantastic play. That's just not how the MVP works. If you want to look at season stats, James Harden versus Luka Doncic. James Harden, so far this year, 26 points, 8.9 rebounds, 11.4 assists. Not going to knock that in any way. There's no way to knock that. He's played a fantastic season, especially while KD is out. But if you're looking at Jokic, he's 27.2 points on 57% shooting, 11 rebounds, and 8.6, basically 9 assists. He has carried the Nuggets. Jamal Murray has essentially been non-existent all year. He's averaging 20 points, which is fantastic. Three rebounds, 3.9 rebounds, and five assists. Jamal Murray has been about as much help as anything James Harden has had. And James Harden, playing in Houston, then going to Brooklyn with KD and Kyrie, has had way more help than Jokic could even imagine throughout this NBA season. I think Jokic is clearly, clearly the favorite for MVP so far. And I don't even think James Harden is second. I think Joel Embiid would be second with LeBron being hurt, LeBron third, and then James Harden. I think if LeBron was not hurt, I really believe he would be second in MVP voting with AD missing so much time with his injury, and then Embiid being third because Ben Simmons has been healthy all year. The Sixers haven't really battled too many injuries, and with them being in the Eastern Conference, it's a little different up until recently with the Nets and then the Heat getting Oladipo. Um, I think the Sixers have had an easier road to what they've had, to the success they've had as far as Utah and then Portland and Golden State playing decent, not very well, but about 500. Um, the only comparable team would be the Hornets or the Hawks, which the Hornets or the Hawks. So I definitely think Jokic is still the front runner for MVP. Harden makes a decent case, but not quite much, not quite the backing that LeBron, Jokic, or Embiid would have, in my opinion. As much as I love James Harden, he's just not doing what everyone else is doing as far as support and winning-wise. He's doing a great job with the little time he's had, but you don't win the MVP off two weeks. That's just how I feel about it. And with that being said, the Nets made a great move. They picked up Blake Griffin. So now their starting five is insane. You got Kyrie, if they're all healthy. Whenever they all become healthy, their starting five is stupid. Kyrie at the one or James Harden at the one. The opposite at the two. James Harden or Kyrie at the two. You got Katie at the three, Blake Griffin at the four, and before this week, DeAndre Jordan at the five. I'm not sure who Steve Nash will decide to bring at the five, DeAndre Jordan or LaMarcus Aldridge, but either way, you have DeMarcus Aldridge, LaMarcus Aldridge or DeAndre Jordan coming off the bench. 
Then you have Joe Harris at the seven. At the seven. A top five shooter in the league right now is at the seventh best player in your on your team. That is stupid. Then you still have Jeff Green coming at eight. The amount of firepower that the Nets have right now is stupid. It's unfair, and they clearly built this entire team to beat LeBron. That's just kind of how it goes right now in the NBA. For the last, I couldn't tell you how many years, since the Celtics. The Celtics, big three. Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, KG, even Rondo. They essentially had a fab four. was built to beat LeBron. The Golden State Warriors, Steph, Clay, Draymond, built to beat LeBron. They did it through the draft, which is what most would say is the correct way to build a super team. Because then you don't get as much heat for building teams through the free agency. But then they went and got KD, built to beat LeBron. If you want to look at, who else could you say? The Pacers? Maybe, but not necessarily the same level of a super team as what the Warriors or the Celtics, the Spurs. They built their super team a little bit before. Kawhi definitely developed to be a super team. Built to beat LeBron. The Clippers, Kawhi, PG, built to beat LeBron. The NBA is so focused on built to beat LeBron because you know that's who you're going up against if you're in the opposite conference. You know it's not going to be Kawhi. It's not going to be Donovan Mitchell. and It's not going to be Jokic and Murray. It's not going to be, at this point, it's not going to be Steph. It's not going to be Dane. It's going to be LeBron and whatever team he's on, whether it be AD healthy or not. Nine times out of ten, it's going to be LeBron either way. So you have to stack your team because he's just that kind. He's just that good, period. He's just that good. Now, if LeBron comes back healthy, which assuming he will because that's all he's given us throughout his career, is the fact that he will come back healthy and he will come back ready to play, the Nets made it very clear. Their goal is to have a team that's so ready that there is no way that LeBron will beat them. Well, the Lakers made a move today. Presumably today. Andre Drummond is expected to sign with the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, if you're looking at the Lakers starting five, Dennis Schroeder, LeBron, presumably if everyone is healthy, you got Dennis Stroder at the one, LeBron at the three, AD at the four, Andre Drummond at the five, and whoever they decide to throw in there at the two, whether it be Alex Caruso, or if they play a little bigger, put LeBron at the two, Kuzma at the three, AD and then Andre Drummond, whatever exactly it is they decide to do, I I still don't know if it's quite enough to beat the Brooklyn Nets. LeBron is having essentially a down year, which is 
absolutely insane to say with the high level of play compared to the rest in the NBA that this man is still playing at. He's essentially having a down year. At 25, 7.9 and 7.9, he's having a down year for himself. That is insane. He hasn't averaged less than 25 points since his rookie season. That is mind-blowing. And he's the closest he's been since essentially either 2014 or last season at 25.3. And he's essentially having a down year at 36 years old. About to turn 37 or just turn 37. We're about to turn 37. He's about to turn 37 this year. He's having a down year. That is insane to me. So, with that being said, I'm just not sure how people are still saying Jordan is better than LeBron. Yes, very first episode, we're talking about it. We're going right into it. LeBron is the GOAT. Jordan is two. And then three through five is very interchangeable depending on what you love, what you like to see from your players, etc., etc. LeBron has to be the GOAT at this point. He's going to finish essentially number one in scoring. He'll be top 10 in assists. And then he has the opportunity to be top 10 in rebounds. With four to six chips on essentially the greatest stretch of dominance we've seen in this era as far as getting to the finals. You can say what you want. He's lost in the finals, but... Losing in the finals is not worse than losing in the first round. So he's essentially had the greatest level of dominance that we've seen. We'll talk about that at another time. So, with this season moving forward, I don't know that Andre Drummond is enough to beat the Nets. Kyrie is one of the most skilled scorers we've ever seen. KD, in my opinion, is the best scorer we've ever seen. James Harden, be it streaky, can be the third best scorer we've ever seen. And then DeAndre Jordan, he's explosive. Blake Griffin, he can put up points with the best of them. He can really put up, he can still put up 17 to 25 points in a heartbeat without you even really noticing it. He proved he can still put the ball in the rim with a powerful dunk that is still not in question, which I don't know why anyone was. The man wasn't happy. He wasn't unathletic. He developed the post game. He wasn't unathletic. The man can still play. So, I think the Nets have to be the favorites in the NBA right now. I don't really see how that's in question. I don't really see how anyone can feel any other way about it. The Nets have to be the favorites in the NBA right now. That just is what it is. <sighs> I hate to say it. I really want to see LeBron get another ring. I want to see LeBron get seven to nine rings if he can. If he can keep playing, I want to see him get as many rings as possible. So then there's no question who the greatest of all time is. I think, listen, I think the guys from the older generation are so struck on 
what they remember from Jordan, that they forget what Jordan truly was. He won six finals, yes, but he only went to six finals. We've got a guy right now that has went to ten finals. Very well could be on his way to his 11th. He's just that good. I don't know. I don't want to get too deep into the LeBron versus Jordan conversation. It's hard not to when you're talking about the NBA because that's the biggest question in the NBA. We'll move on. I digress to another situation that developed this week. Draymond Green. He says he's the greatest defender of all time. Okay. Let's talk about it. He says he's a better defender than Dennis Rodman. The guy that really put clamps on Shaq. Let may it be Shaq in, in Orlando. But he did clamp up Shaq. I didn't truly believe it until I saw it with my own eyes. I went and watched the game tape. He put work on Shaq. He really did. Draymond Green says he is a better than better defender than Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen. You Jordan fans, believe it or not, Scottie Pippen had the toughest assignments when the Bulls played the Lakers or the Pistons. Jordan did guard Isaiah at at times, but Jordan's time was predominantly on Joe Dumars. I digress. Scottie Pippen guarded Larry Bird. Scottie Pippen guarded I'm not sure if he guarded Charles Barkley. I'll have to go look at that. But he, nine times out of ten, guarded Charles Barkley. He is a better matchup at 6'8". Then Jordan would be him at 6'6". Maybe Charles Barkley was slight, slight of height. But at 6'6", with that weight on him, Scottie Pippen would have been the better matchup. So I'm assuming that Scottie Pippen would have been guarding Charles Barkley. Scotty Pippen. Draymond says he's a better defender than Scotty Pippen. Draymond says he's a better defender than Kawhi Leonard. The man that guarded LeBron during two finals. He says he's a better defender than him. He says he's a better defender than Gary Payton, who guarded AI, who guarded John Stockton. He guarded a lot of great point guards in his time. He says he's a better defender than Kobe. He's a better defender than Jordan. He's a better defender than Kevin Garnett. Who we've seen Kevin Garnett shut down every position from one through five. He says he's a better defender than Dwight Howard. Who say what you want about Dwight Howard, but he's had an incredible run. An incredible run. Now listen. I don't want to take anything away from Draymond. Draymond has one defensive player of the year. Draymond is a five-time all-team defense, first or second team. Draymond is has obviously proven his worth. But let me tell you something. Kevin Garnett is 12-time all-defense. He is the 07-08 defense player of the year. 
He is the 0304 MVP. He won rookie of the year. You will not find a season outside of 2013 and 2011. Where this man averaged less than one block. There's only two seasons where he averaged less than one steal. This man averaged more than two steals. I'm sorry. There's only two seasons where he averaged less than one steal. And you're going to tell me that Draymond Green truly believes that he is the greatest defender of all time. He has four seasons with less than one block. He only has one season so far with less than one steal. He even has a season where he essentially led the league in steals. But he has not led the league in defensive rebound. Kevin Garnett has. Dennis Rodman has. He's never had the toughest assignment for a four-game series. He never guarded LeBron. That was Andre Iguodala's job. Klay Thompson was guarding Kyrie. Draymond Green cannot guard the the one or the two. Kevin Garnett did. Now, I'm not saying Kevin Garnett is the greatest defender of all time. But you're not even doing the thing that Kevin you're not even doing the things that Kevin Garnett did. So how could you possibly? Even Scottie Pippen guarded the one through five, through four. He guarded one through four before Dennis Rodman got there. Then Dennis Rodman took over four through five. Without question. You're not even doing the things that Scottie Pippen did. Draymond Green is essentially limited to three through five. Draymond, guard, Draymond Green is not guarding no two. He definitely ain't guarding no one. So I think before you take such a drastic statement, and call, I love the confidence. You 100% should have that kind of confidence. But before you step in and make the kind of comment that you just made, saying you are the greatest defender of all time, you got to humble yourself for a second. Or step up and guard the one. Or step up and guard the two. That sounds silly, doesn't it? Draymond Green guarding the one. You're just not that guy. Now, you should 100% have that kind of confidence. But do you need to open your big ass mouth and say it? Absolutely not. I digress. Now, with that being said, we're going to move on to a different sport. The NFL. The NFL made some big news. First reported by Adam Schefter, of course, that they would be expanding or expected to expand the NFL game to 17 games. They expand the NFL season to 17 games. I do not have a problem. Or, as a fan, you should not have a problem with that. As a player 
for a person that supports the players, you should have a problem with that. Alvin Kamara made it very clear on Twitter that he has a problem with that. He quoted Adam Scheffner's tweet saying that the NFL was expected to expand the NFL season to 17 games with a very simple statement. Alvin Kamara said, quote, shit's dumb, dot, 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 as hell, end quote. You can't be mad at him. From a player's perspective, you have to agree. First of all, we still have corona going on. Whether you believe it's a real disease, whether you wear your mask, whether you're against the mask, it does not matter. Some of these players, especially professional athletes like Carl Anthony Towns, that have experienced significant loss throughout this trying time, they will be frustrated with this because you're, you're, you're projecting this image, this vocal moment that you truly care about the, the player's well-being. You truly care what's going on with the players. You're implementing all of these goofy-ass rules to protect the players, and then the players look up, and you're adding an extra game in the middle of a pandemic. How does that prove that you are with the player's best interest. It doesn't. It proves that you're with money's best interest. And that's just the bottom line of it. This was a money move by the NFLPA, by the owners of the NFL teams. This was a huge money move. Now, from a fan's perspective, you just got an extra game of NFL football. Why would we be mad? We are ecstatic as NFL fans. We just got an extra game of free football. Who's mad about that? A week 18. Who's mad about that? But here's what I will say. This will lead to one thing. Week one through three are a little less meaningful. They almost feel like preseason games. So you cannot be mad. When you see running backs, when you see linebackers, those guys that are in the trenches every single play dealing with the hardest hitters in the league, sit out a game or two. Your fantasy team is about to get fucked for a game or two. It's just going to happen. Tight ends, you could see them sit out a game or two. Defensive ends, defensive linemen, those guys that are truly in the trenches, the guys that are getting 25-plus touches, the guys that are smashing their helmets into other grown-ass men every single play, they will be sitting out a game or two. I can see it coming. I can see it happening now. Rest games for NFL players. The more games you add to a season will lead to, to less significance per game, which means players will tend to sit out more. Look at what's going on in the NBA right now. No, 17 games is not the same as 82 games. I 100% completely understand that. Obviously, 17 is not the same as 82. I can do simple math. But I'm telling you right now, the more games you add to an NFL season, the less the early ones will matter. Do you think the Chiefs are worried about week one, two, and three? No. 
They're one of the best teams in football. Week one, two, and three do not matter as much. So why would we put Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who's coming off an injury, into the game week one, two, and three? Let's give him a couple extra weeks to heal. If I'm Adrian Peterson, if I'm Frank Gore, these older guys, these older running backs who are like, maybe I'm not 100% yet. Maybe my knee's not right. Maybe my ankle's not right. Why don't I just rest this week? I'll come back next week. I still got 16, 15, 14 games left to get back to 100%. I can easily run 4,000 yards in 15 games. Maybe not easily, but it's very doable. 14 games, I can easily run 4,000 yards. Maybe not easily, but it's very doable. The more games you add, the more likely it is players will sit out. And I just don't think, as far as morale goes, I don't think this adds any kind of backing on you caring more about the players than money or you truly caring about the players' well-being if you're adding games in the middle of a pandemic when players are already getting hurt playing 16 games, players are struggling to play 16 games. Owners, GMs, coaches are dying to find that player that can play 16 games right now, and you added a game. So what the hell do you think they're going to do for a guy that can play 17 games, 18 games? I think the cap was at 16. You had them playing 12. You had them playing 14 games. Now you got them playing 17 games. I think we're past the cap at this point. I think we're past the cap of what players should be playing in such a violent sport for 60 minutes. I think we've reached the cap. I don't see the purpose in adding a 17th game, 17th game, an 18th week to a season. I don't get it. It doesn't quite make sense to me. But they did it. Just like everyone else, I'll sit back and I'll see how it goes. And we'll move forward. Not to mention, 8-9 and nine is just an ugly record. 9-8 and eight is just an ugly record going into the playoffs. I don't like the optics of it. The shit just isn't pretty. It isn't sexy. It isn't the way I want to look at a, a, a regular season from a team. No 500 records? That's just, that's just ass. Anyway, we got a big update for Deshaun Watson. Today, we got 16 sexual assault allegations from massage therapists on the golden boy, essentially, before this all broke at a very interesting time after they signed another quarterback. A day after they signed another quarterback. A day after, or a few days after they signed a backup quarterback, we had 16 sexual assault allegations filed with the Houston, Texas owner's neighbor's attorney. The attorney doing all of these filings is the Houston Texans owner's neighbor, right-hand man. That's the attorney filing all 16 of these sexual assault allegations talk about that at another time I don't want to make that too big of a point in this story because I don't know Deshaun Watson maybe they are true I doubt it very seriously that all 16 of these allegations are true I read the statements from all 16 of these 
they are very similar. Essentially, all of them, Deshaun Watson matches allegedly. Deshaun Watson allegedly messaged them through text message or via Instagram, inquiring or inquiring about their services, asking if they could massage his growing, his growing, or his crotch area, his upper thigh. And they all allege that one way or another, Deshaun Watson sexually assaulted each of them in a very similar manner. That is a very serious allegation. Now, there was a very interesting update in this story. There has not been a single lick of evidence reported to the Houston police there has not been a single individual step forward to the Houston police. Not a soul has presented anything or filed a, a, a criminal lawsuit to the Houston police in any of these 16 sexual assault allegations. Which can only believe, lead us to believe one thing. This is a hoax. Now listen, I don't want to be insensitive to any woman that has been sexually assaulted, any person that has been sexually assaulted, but this shit ain't right. This shit ain't right. I'm going to keep it 100 with you. This shit ain't right. If we're looking at the facts that we have presented to us, the, 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 the information we have presented to us, the allegations we have presented to us, not a single Shred of evidence. We 15 days into this now. Two weeks. And we presented a single shred of evidence throughout any of it. Here. Let me say this. Let me make this very clear. If the Houston, Texas are found to be behind this hoax. Deshaun Watson should be free to leave this organization. The Houston Texans should have to pay the rest of his contract for however long. I believe it's to 2025, but however long it is, he should be allowed to go to a different team. That team should not be penalized, and they should not pay the money of that contract to him. The Houston Texans should be responsible for that contract because of what they have done to this man. And not only that, but the owner should be forced to sell the team immediately. He should be forced out of the NFL. This kind of this kind of behavior, this kind of disrespect should be forced out of the NFL to prevent this shit from ever happening again. The man does not want to play for the Houston Texans. And it is very cl clear why. You gave the head coaching power, you gave the GM power to a man that was clearly not qualified for any of that power, maybe head coaching, maybe he could have been an offensive coordinator, maybe he could have been a defensive coordinator, but that man was clearly, clearly not qualified to hold a place as a head coach in the NFL, 
You gave that man head coaching power. You gave that man GM power. You gave that man full control of your NFL team. He shit the bed. He fucked your team over for the next, I couldn't tell you how many years. Traded away all your picks for not a damn thing. Traded away the uh, top two receiver in the NFL for not a damn thing, but a running back that was that was great. And now you mad that the QB want to leave when you traded away his best weapon. You got no damn draft picks to go get him any help. Who the hell wants to play there anyway? I'm telling you right now, if any of this should be fake. If if any of this should be false, if any of this should be fabricated, the Houston Texans owner should be forced to sell the team immediately. There should be no questions. There should be no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This would be one of the biggest hoax in sports history. Mr. Miss, Mrs. Janice McNair, if this is fake, this woman should be forced to sell the Houston Texans immediately, expeditiously. She should be forced out of the NFL. Now, obviously, if these allegations are true, Deshaun Watson's career should be over because there should be no place in the NFL for sexual assault there should be no place in the NFL for these players to be forcing themselves onto any woman. I 100% agree with that. There's not a doubt in my mind. But I'm telling you right now, this shit ain't this shit don't look real. It don't look believable. So if 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 this stuff is fake, it should be over for for the owner. It should be over for the GM if he was a part of it. It should be on over for everybody. Because it's not right. You should not be able to do this to a man that does not want to play for your organization anymore after you have completely shit the bed with the leadership in the organization. I digress. And with that, we move on to the next subject. That's all I got to say about that. Now, this is a very big offseason. The 49ers just traded to the number three pick from the Miami Dolphins. They fucked my Carolina Panthers. I was hoping Carolina could move up to two to the New York Jets, but it seems like the New York Jets are not budging off that number two pick, and it seems like they made it very clear with the 49ers not even making a, 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 a draft package for the, for, for the New York Jets. There's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, and if I am ranking these quarterbacks right now, let me make this very clear. Zach Wilson seems like if after watching the tape of all the quarterbacks, watching them go through their progressions, watching the the pure arm talent, the ability the ability to extend plays, the ability to throw from any kind of angle, the 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 Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray baseball throws that just come from weird angles that we don't really see every day, but like man, are they special? The best quarterback in this draft, and I consider him a lock. I consider him a can't-miss project. I I consider him a can't-miss prospect in this draft. Is Zach Wilson. To me, he is number one. Everybody's like, oh, well, he didn't play that 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 many great teams. Okay, if we're talking at the NFL level, 
How many teams, how many players from Carson, from Trevor Lawrence's opponents are going to the NFL? Not a lot. There isn't a lot of NFL players in the ACC. Right? If I'm wrong, speak up. There isn't a lot of NFL players in the ACC. Shit, there isn't a lot of players, NFL players on defense in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State. Justin Fields played for Ohio State. Mac Jones. What are we looking at? Alabama? LSU? Florida, all of those defensive players on off all of those NFL players on offense. We're not looking at a lot of NFL players that Mac Jones faced, right? So, with that being said, if we're looking at NFL talent that the, that the that these quarterbacks have faced, Mac Jones probably played the most. Justin Fields next, Trevor Lawrence third, Zach Wilson sec- or fourth, and then Trey Lance fifth. But the level of dominance that Zach Wilson placed on his opponents is the same level of dominance that you would have expected. Patrick Mahomes was at a BYU. If Russell Wilson was at a BYU. If Cam Newton didn't go to Auburn and he went to BYU. If if Cam Newton, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson was for some reason Mormon. That's the kind of level of dominance I just saw from Zach Wilson. He is seriously that good. That he will be a top five quarterback within the next five years. He is clearly, to me, if I'm looking at all of these quarterbacks... Zach Wilson is clearly the top five quarterback within the next five to six years. Maybe even less. I would be okay betting that Zach Wilson is a top three quarterback within the next three years. He's that good. Now, people are like, what about Trevor Lawrence? Trevor Lawrence dominated college football in a way that we've rarely seen. He is my number two quarterback in the NFL draft right now. He is also that good but if you're looking if if you're ranking them one out of ten zach wilson is a 9.7 trevor lawrence is like a 9.4 mac jones is like an 8.7 that's the distance between zach wilson trevor lawrence and then the rest mac jones is like an 8.7 8.8 then i got justin fields he's fourth to me the fact that he can't get off his first read he, 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 he truly struggles with throwing out routes. But the way that he can create plays out of, out of thin air is truly exceptional. It's Cam Newton, Deshaun Watson-esque, the way he can just make plays happen. I truly admire the way Justin Fields makes plays happen. So I would have him at an 8.2, 8.3. And then Trey Lance... He can run the ball better than 90% of quarterbacks I've ever seen in my entire life. He's truly, truly, truly inconsistent, and that's why I would have him at fifth. His inconsistent throw pattern, his inconsistent accuracy, he has great arm strength, but he just doesn't quite seem to understand how to control it yet. Trey Lance seems more like a project than any of these other four quarterbacks. I think Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, and Mac Jones are ready to start in the NFL right now. 
I think those three would benefit more from getting in the game and throwing the ball against NFL talent, throwing the ball to NFL talent, than Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Justin Fields and Trey Lance, they seem more like projects than Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, or Mac Jones. That's just how I feel about it. So I, I have Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. Those are my top five rankings. I just don't quite see what I need to see, especially out of Justin Fields and Trey Lance, that are NFL-ready quarterbacks right now. Trey Lance and Justin Fields, they have to learn how to go through a progression in a consistent way. I just don't see that they figured out how to read the blitzes coming and go through their progressions in the same play pattern. I just, I honestly just can't quite see it yet. I don't see it yet from them. So, one more time for you since you, you haven't quite heard it yet. Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. That specific order is my top five. But I do think, I don't think you can go wrong drafting Trevor Lawrence first over Zach Wilson. I think those two are so good that no matter which one you pick, you're making the right choice. I think you surround them with decent talent and you're going to get exceptional performance. Trevor Lawrence, he can extend plays. He can run. He's accurate. He has the big arm. Zach Wilson is the same way. I just think he has a little more of a exceptional ability to throw the ball from strange angles and still be just as accurate. Or I'm I'm almost, I, I would say I'm okay saying that Zach Wilson has the bigger arm. He can make throws 50 yards down the field from a sidearm or a, around a defender and it still be on the money. That's just the kind of guy that Zach Wilson is. Mormon Mahomes is no joke. And I really hope that the Carolina Panthers find a way to draft this man because he will make plays for the, whatever. He will change Whatever franchise he goes. I think Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence are the biggest locks to change whatever franchise they go to that we've seen in a very long time. And I don't know about you, but that shit just gets me excited. It makes places on my body tingle that you just wouldn't expect to tingle watching two quarterback prospects. I digress. Moving on. The NCAA tournament has... Has always been exciting. I, like most, miss seeing this kind of passion from college players, which we obviously didn't get last year because of the coronavirus. So, the biggest upset we've seen so far, or Roberts. This is a team that surprised a, a, a shit ton of people. They didn't just upset one, but they upset two big teams. Two big Division I powerhouses. Ohio State, then Florida. Obviously, they were then bounced. But, listen. I'm sure with the NFC, with the with the college football season about to 
start making some buzz. This will not be the last time you hear me say that. But I cannot stand Ohio State fans, or at least the majority of them. Because I swear, no matter what, they've got an excuse for everything. They've got something for something that will just piss you off. So, my example today, Ohio State Barstool decided that it was a great idea to tweet, Oral Roberts should not have been a 15 seed. That's kind of how upsets work. A team plays better than we expected them to. That's how seeding and upsets work. This is no surprise. This is no anomaly. This happens every fucking NCAA tournament. But for some reason, because it happened to Ohio State first, this is an anomaly. Oh, my God, the committee got it wrong. How could they? There's literally a word for it. We call them Cinderella's every damn year. But for some reason, when it happens to Ohio State teams, oh, my God, this is an anomaly. This is this is something we've never seen before. This is something so unexpected. This team shouldn't have been a 15 seed. Shut the hell up. This is how the NCAA tournament works every damn year. Why are you acting surprised? Why are you acting like this Cinderella team is out of nowhere? This is how it works every year. This year just happened to happen to you. Shut the hell up and hold that L. People are like, oh, 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 how could you? I had Ohio State winning. Shit, everybody did. Everybody did. They should have beat Oral Roberts. If they play that game nine more times, they beat Oral Roberts. Don't say they shouldn't have been a damn 15 seed. They earned that 15 seed. That's how it works. They just outplayed you one night. That's how it works. Stop acting like this is some anomaly that never happened before. But this is what Ohio State fans do over and over and over, no matter what the sport, no matter what the moment, no matter what the reason. This is just Ohio State fans being Ohio State fans. Shut the hell up. This is how it happens. This is the NCAA tournament, baby. Shut the hell up. Don't say they shouldn't have been a 15 seed. Shit, maybe you shouldn't have been a two seed. How about that? You lost to them. Maybe you shouldn't have been a two seed. Maybe that was the problem. <sighs> but I digress. I, I, I feel like you just got to get the Ohio State ran out. I just can't stand the fan base. God. I won't get too into that right now. I, I, I Trust me, the time will come where I will just get to truly unload on Ohio State. But I'll wait. I'll, I'll let that moment truly build up and me just be able to unleash hell from my heart. Let's talk about the teams that are playing well. The team I picked in my bracket to win it all was Gonzaga. And damn it, they look good as hell. They haven't won a game by less than 10 points. Every game has been a blowout. They look unstoppable. They look truly, truly, truly unbeatable at this point. There just doesn't seem to be a weakness. When I'm watching them play, I'm like, damn, they have a guy that can do it. They have a guy that can do every single part of the basketball game. 
They're just playing well. They're a fantastic basketball team. Mr. Jalen Suggs, if he wasn't a lottery pick before, damn it, he sure is now. I cannot wait to see this man at the next level. He can do everything you need him to. He can pass. He can rebound. He can score. He has been no joke this entire this entire college season. I can't. I, I'm not saying he's the number one pick, but I'm telling you right now, this kid might just be a franchise turner for whoever he goes to. He is efficient. He doesn't turn the ball over terribly, terribly high. He can shoot the, the three-point ball decently well. He can play as many minutes as you need him to. He's smart. He's the kind of point guard you want on, a, on your team, not playing against you. I like this kid a lot. I like the way he plays. And I still got Gonzaga as the favorite to win it all, as I did at the very beginning. Now, a lot of people might have. I'm not saying this is a groundbreaking call. But shit, I like what I see. Now, one thing that I have done is watch a lot of the WNCAA tournament. After these girls got disrespected with the weight room, disrespected with the food, disrespected with the welcome basket, they kept their mind on the money and decided to ball out. Miss Page from UConn is a hooper. They had a very... Very tough matchup with Miss Caitlin Clark from Iowa. And they did not slow down. They did not miss a beat. They put it on them. Mr. Gino Oriyama, he looks like he has done it again. Created the NCAA, WNCAA championship again. Now, one thing we don't usually see from Gino is a seven-team, a seven-player rotation. This man is playing seven players, beating play, beating team, top teams by fifteen plus. Now, let me give you a little secret. That minus four. That that UConn is tomorrow, March March thirtieth or March 29th, You better slam it. I'm telling you right now, them girls from UConn. Minus four, you better bet the house. You better bet the mortgage. You better bet the paycheck. You better bet the, the, the Biden bills. You better bet the STEMI. You better bet whatever you got, the income tax. Because them girls are going are, are gonna to crush that minus four. Them girls from UConn ain't no joke. One through five can shoot the ball. One through five can rebound. One through five can pass. One through five can defend. I picked South Carolina in my in my WNCAA bracket. But I'm switching it up. UConn about to win this thing. They about to win the damn thing. Not just because of Geno. Not just because of Paige. But the whole team is a straight team of hoopers. They are back and they are ready for the smoke. 
They want it all. And I love to see it. You heard it here. UConn about to get another dub. And I'm not talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about in the chip. UConn is no joke. I digress. So let's move on. With that being said, I think I made it very clear. I digress. Now, let's move on to the combat world. Boxing, UFC. Not a lot to report. Not a lot to talk about. White versus versus Pavekin, two. Pavekin obviously won the first one by knockout. But White was ready to go. He was the better fighter. He was the sharper fighter. He was the more accurate fighter. They both came out a little wild in this fight on Saturday. But White was just ready to go. The man's no joke. I I, I say he's a C-plus fighter just because of the accuracy. He was a little sloppy. Pavetkin being a C-minus fighter. White knocked him out in the fourth round. That's where I had my money at was white to white money line. I had white winning it. I just I I, I saw I watched the first fight and, the, and it was very clear that Pavetkin. I don't want to call it a lucky shot because the man earned his fight. He earned the win, but it seemed like kind of a lucky shot to me. It seemed like I don't know. It seemed like if they fought again, White would win. So that's where I put my money. And that's just how it panned out. So, like I said, not much to report over the weekend for boxing. White caught the dub, as expected, minus 375. It works for me. That's what I saw happening. I saw the knockout coming. He was stronger. He was more accurate. He was more consistent. He deserved the win. And he got it. Moving on to UFC 260. Let me tell you. The women in in this one. Robertson and Maverick. They put on a hell of a fight. They were fantastic start to finish. Maverick looked way more confident standing up. Robertson looked way more confident on the ground. And overall, Maverick ended up taking it. And the... I, 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 at the, at the end of the first round, I had Maverick 1-0. At the end of the second round, I had it 1-1. Robertson really controlled the ground game in the second round. And then the third round came around. Maverick looked more ready for that third round. She looked she looked like she was fired out of a cannon compared to Robertson. Robertson looked like she was like, all right, let's still pace it. Let's take it the same way we did the first rounds one and two and see how it goes. Maverick said, I'm taking round three, and I'm taking the dub. And that's exactly that's exactly what happened. It seemed like Maverick was just more ready to go overall. That's exactly what happened. All right. So, the next fight, we had O'Malley. Let me tell you, I've never seen the guy fight before. That did not stop me from putting my money on him. All that colorful ass hair. I was a little skeptical when the man was walking to the ring. But believe you me, when that man got in the ring, there was no question left on the board. 
He knocked him down in the first round. Thought the fight was over. Had his hands up walking away. The ref didn't stop him. Knocked him down in the second round. Thought the fight was over again. Froze for a second. Ref, are you going to stop this? He said no. Okay. So he knocked him down again. He said, I ain't waiting for the ref this time. He had one of the meanest walks up. He walked up to him. Walked slow. Letting him know, like, yeah, your death coming. And then put it on him. And took him out in the second round. O'Malley looked super dominant. He looked fantastic. Looked sharp. His instincts looked quick. He was dodging punches that he, he very easily could have missed. That he very easily could have got hit with. O'Malley looked fantastic. He caught the dub. The T, I, I believe it was considered a TKO. But that man wasn't trying to fight no more. That was a KO in my mind. He caught the second round TKO. Let me tell you who didn't hit for me this weekend. I, I, I was pretty solid top to bottom this weekend in all my bets. Let me tell you who didn't hit this weekend. That was a man by the name of Woodley. Tyron Woodley, matter of fact. This man looked like shit. He came to the ring looking like shit. No, he didn't. No, I, I, I'm not even going to play him. But when that bell rang, this man looked like shit. You hear me? He did not look good at all. About midway through the first round, he got hit with a punch. And it shook his world. Do you hear me? It shook this man's world. Rocked him to the core to where his legs looked like Bambi when she was first born. He could not figure out how to walk for the next minute and a half that this fight went on. Before he went to sleep. Before he got knocked the fuck out. He could not figure out how to work his legs. It looked like my girlfriend trying to figure out how to move a person in Call of Duty. He could not figure out how to work his legs to save his life. Literally, because he could not save his life. It was not pretty. It was not sweet. He just did not look great throughout the entire fight. He, uh, he started off decent. I'm not going to lie. He started off okay. I'm like, okay, I might win this bet. I had him to win by KO in the second round. I was like, okay, he might be able to pull it off. This man got hit with a punch. That shook him to his core. Do you hear me? He was not the same from that punch on. He was wobbling around the ring. And I mean, when he when he, when he threw a punch, he was swinging for the fences. He was swinging like every damn swing should be a home run. And he didn't hit a damn thing but the, the damn oxygen in the building. He didn't hit a soul with any of them hard-ass punches. He was just swinging. Swinging. Didn't hit a damn thing. I felt bad for the man. At a certain point, I just felt bad for him. I'm like, golly. Hit something, brother. Hit something. Hit the cage if you got to. Hit the ref. But hit something. He couldn't. He struggled. I think it's time for this man to retire. It's time for him to call it a, call it a career. He's had a fantastic career. He's been a champ. Call it a career. Don't go out there and keep hurting yourself, brother. Please. Don't nobody want to see that. But the main card, I guess it was a co-main event. This was a co-main event. Nganu versus Strike. 
and Stripe look and Ganu looked like he could have punched a hole through the equator. The 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 every damn thing. He it looked like he could have punched a hole through any great force in the universe. I mean, God damn. Hit this man hit this dude so goddamn hard. I felt it. I felt it. I went to sleep. I went to sleep right after the fight. And it wasn't because I was sleepy. It was because Ngannou hit him so damn hard that I went to sleep. That's the kind of fighter he is. This man could punch a hole in a tank. And he hitting grown-ass men in the face with that shit. This man is no damn joke. And I, and, hey, and I'm putting the money in the house again. You damn skippy. I'm putting the mortgage money on him. The man looked incredible. I digress. Thank you so much for joining me for the very first episode of Yesterday This Morning. This is a project that I am very excited to carry onto unbelievable heights. Thank you for being a part of the very first episode. And deciding to grow it with me. Tune in tomorrow morning for episode two. Have a beautiful day. I digress.